Yeah, I'm starting to realize that the plot of National Treasure might not be as ridiculous as once thought. Uh, that getting the Declaration of Independence might not be that hard. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Little Birdie told me that our um, recent podcast was the 100th episode of Flyover Country with right? Scott Jennings. Jared Crawford, hello. Is that, is that correct, Jared? Yeah, if you count our like trailer so you got to do like a pilot episode to actually one. so yeah. that that would count as one so last week was officially 100 that counts scott's column reads um interviews what else have we done other features and events that we've been able Isn't to post something? on there. 100 and counting total Maybe i'm joe about- arnold jared crawford is here oh and there's scott jennings yes your name is on the podcast it is as well as your picture yeah i aim to be the colonel sanders of podcasts where my name is on the bucket, but I don't have to make all the chicken. My greatest dream is that someday you all just come in here and record this and notice that I'm not here. <laughs> As you know, I I watch random YouTube channels, and and I for a while there I was hooked on the old game show What's My Line, and Colonel Sanders appeared on that television show. Oh yeah, in full white suit. They didn't know who he was. This is early on in his career. Okay. When he was first beginning the chain of, of Southern Fried Chicken restaurants, maybe before John Y. Brown got involved and expanded it more. And so yeah. they, they were all kind of trying to guess. It's so bizarre to have Colonel Sanders. They're saying, what does he do for a living? And they couldn't have, none of them could guess. What were the guesses? Wow. They thought he – well, because he was saying uh, – he uses the agricultural term of like that. They said, do you grow something? He said, yes, I do. Yeah. And of course, in 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 some quarters, the only thing of growing something as if it were a plant. So they thought he was like a plantation owner. Or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Sure. Google Colonel Sanders and what's my line? You'll enjoy that. Amazing. And then you can look onto other channels that I enjoy watching there on the YouTube. We can do a YouTube of this sometime. You know, I, back in the beginning, we recorded a few YouTubes. We were we kind of we were kind of fooling around with the idea of yeah. making these video, but just to be candid, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It is. And and, uh, and we're not always looking the the best either. So. Yeah, it, it, you got to dress up. Yeah. <laughs> Wear pants. We are recording this uh, special edition, this 101st or so uh, edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. In the absence of Kevin Grout and Sean Southern, they get the week off. Week off. But uh, Slackers. 12.18 p.m. on a Wednesday, January 25th, the year of our Lord, 2023. A very busy week in Washington and the effects, of course, across the country, Scott. Lots of stuff going on in Washington right now. There's uh, policy stuff popping. There's internal House maneuverings popping. We're all now expecting uh, the president to deliver the State of the Union on February the 7th. We've got uh, Senate 2024 maneuverings going on. It seems like in the last few days, the politics of the country uh, finally got over the Christmas break and is hitting it hard now. I frankly think one of the biggest issues we'll talk about later on is is the, the escalation in Ukraine, if you want to call it that, is with the yeah. U.S. and Germany, other European nations supplying some tanks and other hardware there, to, to, and, and Russia, of course, not happy about that. I do want to talk about a battle, though, so to speak, uh, in, in, in Washington, which happens fairly frequently, and usually it's this sort of this... Uh, uh, O'Brinksmanship over the the debt limit, which has a lot of I'm going to use some more metaphors, there's saber rattling and those kind of things. But ultimately, it almost always gets worked out. I mean, you can you can think of a couple of government shutdowns, not the same as defaulting debt on debt limit. Yeah. First of all, what is the difference? Well, the debt limit is when the nation reaches its statutory borrowing limit. So that so how much the the country can borrow is set by statute. And once you get there, uh, which I guess technically we're there already, right? Mm-hmm. And the Treasury Department then starts to – it's just like at home. If you if you run up against your own debt limit, you start moving some things around to try to keep things afloat for a while. And so then the Treasury Department has the ability to to you know delay certain things and move accounts around. And, and so it puts it off for a few months. But we're on the clock now to sometime this summer – reach the true limit of what the nation can borrow and spend unless the Congress acts to increase that by some amount, which they usually do, although, as you pointed out in the past, it's come right up to the brink. Uh, there was a famous episode back during the Obama years when uh, McConnell and Joe Biden uh, got together and, and sorted it out. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. 
but that's that's what's going on. We'll hear from McConnell here in a moment here. But, of course, the consequences of this are you're talking about interest rates and, and really uh, as far as like flyover country and the rest of the country – that this would affect people's pocketbooks. Well, the you know the the theory is, is that if the nation defaulted on its debts, I mean the United States is the most stable part of the world economy, and so if you can't depend on the United States to pay its obligations, then it really is a destabilizing force. And the theory goes is that if we ever did do that, you'd see markets collapsing, and you know the Dow Jones and S and P dropping. Uh, you'd see. Um, uh, you know, real, real turbulence in the private economy, which then has a ripple effect of affecting what's in people's bank accounts and in their 401ks and in their college savings accounts and, and so on and so forth. We've never done this before, but that's the theory is of right. what would happen. Uh, and and the I guess the the further theory is if that ever did happen, then it would that would spur quick action out of the Congress. But you would hope we could solve this before we actually get to the catastrophe. You mentioned Mitch McConnell when he was the majority leader during the Obama administration, the uh, fiscal cliff, as they called it at the point. And it was, in fact, uh, Joe Biden, the vice president, McConnell, old friends who were able to kind of be the adults in the room and figure things out. This time, however, McConnell, of course, is the minority leader and Kevin McCarthy is the uh, and the Republicans, of course, hold the majority in the House, which is why this is even an issue in the first place. And the politics of the Senate and the politics of the House, even among the Republicans, is so different. Let's let's listen to McConnell and, and hear him explain it, and then we can talk about it. It happened during the pandemic. So here's where I think we are. I can't imagine any kind of debt ceiling measure that could pass the Senate would also pass the House. So, even though the debt ceiling could originate in either the House or the Senate, in this current situation, the debt ceiling fix, if there is one, or how it's to be dealt with, will have to come out of the House. So, I think it's entirely reasonable for the new Speaker and his team to put spending reduction on the table. I wish him well in talking to the President. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's where a solution lies. Again, at the risk of repeating myself, I can't imagine any debt ceiling provision passed out of the Senate with 60 votes could actually pass this particular House. So I think the final solution to this particular episode lies between Speaker McCarthy the president. And that's a dangerous place to be because th- there's not a lot of agreement there. Yeah, it um, there is not. And uh, this morning's news brought um, information about what Kevin McCarthy wants. It, it sounds like some reporting from Punchbowl indicates he wants budget caps, and that would, I guess, ultimately require fairly significant spending reductions. Right before McConnell said what he said, the answer he was giving, uh, where you heard him say pandemic right before he hopped into that clip, he was talking about the nation's debt. And it's kind of become fashionable these days for Democrats to say, oh, well, you know, the debt really went up under Trump and, you know, Republicans are hypocrites. But what McConnell was pointing out is, A, there was broad bipartisan agreement for massive government spending during the pandemic, which did happen under Trump, but there was bipartisan agreement on that. And it was, you know, it was a pandemic. B, the last two big spending bills uh, before the omnibus uh, happened uh, at the end of the year were budget reconciliation deals done purely with Democrats. Not a single Republican voted for either one. So you're talking about trillions in spending done solely by the Democratic Party, uh, which has really ramped up the national debt, even though the pandemic is basically over. They did it anyway. Right. And so McConnell was pointing out that, look, these Democrats have have <laughs> – you know, spent a lot of money. And, and then you heard him say it's highly appropriate for Kevin McCarthy to put spending cuts on the table because, you know, we simply have spent too much. And it's been one party uh, during the Biden years that's done it. And beyond that, another familiar refrain from McConnell when it, when they're talking about even increased spending or more spending in the future is like, we haven't spent the money that's been allocated already. In other words, a lot of these states are sitting on just, oh. just hordes of cash. Oh, there's tons of money out there. And in fact, you've heard some local officials express concern that the federal government might try to claw back you know some of that money as part of a of a way to to, to get the federal books uh 
back in order. So I doubt that happens. I mean, that would be hard to pull off, I think, but uh, it's, it's been expressed out there. So if the fiscal cliff was happening before and we came right up to the moment uh, before we kind of fell off that cliff, and that was with Biden and McConnell being able to negotiate. Yeah. I mean, how confident are you that a McCarthy and a Biden, or McCarthy and I don't know who else would be negotiating on Biden's behalf? I mean, is Kamala Harris the negotiator? No. I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm just saying is who are the people who will ultimately be able to get something done? And then I guess the other part of this is since we just came out of the speaker uh, situation and we and we saw just how how willing the uh, the, the hardliners were to basically let the government come to a grinding halt and that was fine with them. These are people who have shown a lot of resolve and is this is this going to bend anytime soon? Yeah, uh, I read this morning that um, Biden has invited Speaker McCarthy to the White House to have a meeting. I don't think it's been set, but it's sometime between now and the State of the Union. So they can begin conversations. Now, the White House position on this has been we're not negotiating over the debt limit. And McCarthy wants to talk about, you know, spending in this country. I actually think McCarthy's on pretty solid political ground here. I mean, most people, I think, are uh, stunned by the amount of, of debt we have. And so I think he's on solid political ground. I think Biden, you know, he's entering a reelection campaign. And most of the time, presidents tack to the middle. Um you remember the famous the era of big government is over mm-hmm. out of Bill Clinton, you know, as he was heading into a, a reelection campaign. There's probably some political value maybe in Joe Biden, you know, saying, yeah, you know what? I, I think we do need to take a look at the dead here. And although I don't agree with everything they want to do, I think we should have this conversation. I, to me, that's not a that's not a bad broad place to be politically. There are just certain elements of the Democratic Party who would have a complete meltdown about it. Yeah, you've seen over the last week the uh, both parties kind of trading jabs on who has caused all of this debt and nothing. I think both parties over the years have had times where they've both probably quote unquote spent recklessly or maybe more than they they wanted to. But there's really only one side that's serious about cuts or serious about trying to trying to rein this in. Um, you know, it, it's always met with well, they're going to cut Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. Well, those are the those are the you know big programs, so they get called out at times, but. I think you're right, Scott, that there can be, from McCarthy's side, even with the kind of hardliners, you know, the five, six, seven of them, that there can be something where they, they meet in the middle here and get serious about this debt, have some reasonable cuts or reasonable spending caps and things like that. And Biden can say, I didn't cut Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, the things you guys care about, but this is a fiscally responsible plan. And I'm happy we could you know, prevent the disaster. While this conversation is going on between the president and the speaker, you know, there's still a lot of debate inside the Republican Party about what to cut. I mean, you you have now a growing faction of people who want to cut defense spending and another faction of Republicans who say, wait a minute, this is our national security on the line here. And so that debate, too, is sort of kind of, you know, the subtext of this. And I don't I'm not sure the Republicans have internal agreement about no about exactly what to do on the cuts. I, I think there's broad agreement that we need to reduce spending and make some spending cuts, but where and how is yet to be determined, I think. A budget is a statement of values in many respects, and this is the problem is there is very little unanimity on this yeah. at all. And, it's it's and, kind of fascinating because yeah. it's not clean between the parties here. You've not can, at all. Because you also have some Democrats who probably – don't want to cut defense spending, but some Democrats who definitely do. Yeah. Uh, it's so you. It, it's it's a it's a it's not a clean partisan split on who's where on this one. And then beyond that, again, going back to the difference between the Senate and the House, the House has become so much more polarized, uh, and there are so few people on either side who would be considered moderates in this equation. So it does. It just seems to me that it is a recipe for. Complete stalemate. Well, this is the this is the trick for Kevin McCarthy. You know, how many people will not vote for a debt limit increase of any kind, no matter what kind of deal he cuts? Right. We don't know that yet. If it's more than four, then it will require some Democrats to pass this thing. Right. So this is why McConnell's theory, I think, is correct. For a deal to work under those circumstances, Democrats would have to get a nod from Joe Biden that this is my deal. And so then they can deliver some votes. But McCarthy's speakership, in my opinion, then becomes 
unstable if it passes with mostly Democrat votes. And so that's where the the internal House politics get get real uh, hanky, you know. And I, you know, there are times where my thinking on Biden has changed so many times. Uh, you know, I, coming into all this, maybe it's sort of like the better angels, you know, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, because he and McConnell did have this collegiality and there was sort of this idea of the adults in the room and and frankly, the whole reason he was elected in the first place was because he wasn't Trump and because it was time just to kind of have a, a normal, stable existence. But I really haven't seen that from him for these first several years. It's been more, much more of a hyper-partisan following the loudest voices of his caucus. Yeah. And I, as a result, I don't have a lot of hope that there is going to be some kind of a, you know, an agreement to come to the middle here. I, I see McCarthy and Biden as kind of both slaves to their respective extreme factions. I wonder, Scott, maybe you know this, the, the political ramifications of, of a potential shutdown or past shutdowns, are there Republicans thinking that this could make Biden look bad? And it's just like, well, we just won't show up. We won't. I mean, I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's a good question. But usually when you have brinksmanship or, you know, shutdowns or yeah. the threat of default, the, the media tends to portray it as yeah. only the Republicans fault. I mean, look. And that's what's going to happen here. It's all going to be, oh, Republican intransigence here, and that's why everything is messed up. Kevin McCarthy has a more than legitimate point about government spending, the level of debt we carry. And if you're not going to talk about it now, when we hit the debt limit, when are you going to talk about it? He has a more than defensible political position, but it won't be portrayed that way. Actually, I'm going to take the the other side of this. I, I hear you the despair in your voice, but I... And maybe you're right, but but McCarthy has proven so far that he's he's a little wilier than maybe people give him credit for, and um, and like I said, Biden's heading into a reelection campaign here. There there may be, I've said this before in in other venues about when things come together. If you can visualize a scenario where something good happens for both sides, then you can easily see how they can. Strike deals. If Biden sees value and looking like he's responding to the national debt, if McCarthy sees value and looking like he got some concessions on spending, you know, you can see where um, where things could happen. It's just a question of will there people follow them? I mean, there will be Democrats who will not vote for a dollar less in spending, and there will be Republicans who won't vote uh, for for anything but what they considered to be the full package that they agreed on, you know, when Kevin McCarthy became speaker. And so the question is, are there enough people in the middle of that who will follow their leaders uh, if they can strike a strike an agreement? Yeah, I mean, the the squad has done this on major spending packages. There's like five. It's a five billion dollar package. There's like one hundred dollars for cops. And they're like, no, no, yeah. not vote for this one. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, they could try to sabotage from their oh, side, yeah. too. It's yeah. Well, I, I, I'll be the contrarian on to what you're saying on one thing that you said earlier, and that is that you think that it's a um, the American people will be on the side of more austerity or, or being a little bit more responsible with, with that. I don't think that the American people care, I, I generally see. speaking, because at, especially after the pandemic and we, and we see everybody else getting this money, I just see as I think it's, I think it's a drug. And I, 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 I'm, I maybe some do, and, and there are some people who are true believers who are going to be, you know, the fiscal, um, you know, conservatives and, and be responsible on this. I'm just telling you from the grassroots up, and a lot of these states are saying, bring it on. I don't know. I, I, my, my contrarian opinion is inflation shocked this country yeah, and yeah. continues to shock this country. And I do think there's broad acceptance that at least part of it was caused, if not most of it was caused, by massive government overspending. Uh, and as you pointed out, there's still money flowing through the system from, from those spending decisions. And so I think they, there might be a, an appetite right now because of inflation to maybe – you know, snap ourselves back into reality. I, I agree with you. There's some people that are addicted to it. I totally get that. But I, th- at least inflation has moved the idea of what are the negative ramifications of government spending back to the front burner. I encourage our flyover country with Scott Jennings listeners to uh, check out the bonus podcast of Scott uh, updating his latest op-ed in the Louisville Courier-Journal talking about the, uh, perhaps more than ever, the Kentucky congressional delegation punching above its weight yeah. um, 
Now, seven of the eight members of the delegation are Republican. There is one newly elected Democrat, uh, Morgan McGarvey, our friend who uh, is taking over for, for John Yarmouth. So he's over in the minority. We'll have to see what happens in th- this uh, session as well as his rest of his career. But for right did, now, Scott. Did you all see the clip that went viral of his daughter? Of his daughter. Oh, oh yes. Well, that was very funny. Kind of, of, kind of casting a spell yes, during, yes, the, funny, during the speaker yeah. fight. Well, they yeah. were just waiting to, for him to be sworn in. And, yes. of course, it couldn't happen until yeah. after this happened. Oh, I'm so, sure the kids were restless. And whatever sure. she yeah, it was, it was, was hilarious. rhyming or was very funny. <laughs> it was very it looked funny. like she was casting was a spell. Yeah. But it's, uh, even that, even, of course, that, uh, that speaker battle, uh, of course, had – a Kentuckian right at the heart of it because Hal Rogers, the longest serving as a result, the, the, named the dean of the house, was the one who swore Kevin McCarthy in as speaker. But, Scott, your whole column kind of spells out it really is an incredible kind of nexus here of of a lot of influence for a relatively you know medium or small state. Yeah, I had the idea for the column this week when the news came out that Speaker McCarthy had appointed Congressman Thomas Massey of the 4th District to the House Rules Committee, which is extremely powerful perch. I mean, they control the flow of all legislation to the House floor. And I started to think about it. Well, wait a minute. Every single Republican, seven out of the eight are Republicans, as you said, every one of them has an extremely influential or powerful perch, either because of a policy area, a leadership position, or just, frankly, a visibility issue. Go down. I mean, everybody knows Mitch McConnell, and he's the longest serving party leader. And Rand Paul's a household name. But you mentioned Hal Rogers, the dean of the House. I mean, this is nobody really has more appropriations clout than Hal Rogers. Jamie Comer, you can't turn on the TV without seeing Jamie Comer right now. Uh, the the new chair of the Oversight Committee. He's got he's the point man on investigations. Brett Guthrie, who's um, you know one of the quieter members of the delegation, once voted nicest member of the House. Actually, multiple times voted that by Roll Call magazine. And you know he's this is a policy wonk who's now one of the most senior people on energy and commerce. You know two fairly important topics. They handle all health care. He'll be the chair of the health subcommittee, Medicare, drug prices. Yeah. Uh, overseeing the agencies that deal with pandemics. I mean, this will be all under his jurisdiction. Andy Barr of Lexington, he's increased his national profile lately. He's done some national interviews on Meet the Press this week on CNN as well. He is uh, taking over a subcommittee on financial services that will oversee banks and the Federal Reserve. And then also he got put by the speaker on the new select committee on China, which I think is going to end up producing maybe some bipartisan legislation. Massey, I mentioned, now on rules. You know, I mean, Massey was kind of thought of for years as like this Dr. No. Now he's he's he is really important. If you want to get something onto the floor, it has to go through him on the rules committee. And then I mentioned Paul. You know, his he's probably has the weakest hand here as a as an official matter. He's the ranker on homeland security and government reform in the Senate. So Democrats will will set the agenda there. But you know, he still has massive influence nationally with libertarian right and and in conservative media so you know this is like this column's like a field guide for lobbyists on how to get things done in washington right now my advice get a phone book and a map of kentucky because basically if you want to get something done on any of these major topics and areas we're talking about every week, it's going to flow through the bluegrass state. I wouldn't say a phone book. I would say to set up an office here. <laughs> I mean truly because I mean I will say that our members of congress you know, they are dedicated to their constituents. They spend a quite a bit of time here. So if you want to see them, you might have better luck coming to Louisville or to uh, Lexington or other parts in the coal fields or in the mountains to, uh, rather than uh, spending your time in D.C. McConnell always refers to himself as the representative of middle America at the leadership table because of the top congressional leaders. McCarthy's from California. The two top Democrats are literally from the same neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. And then you have McConnell, who is at the table from middle America, and his state, Kentucky, now has basically all of the responsibility to represent flyover country, all of middle America at the leadership table. He's obviously at the head of it. But all these people we just mentioned, you know, you've got all these congressional leaders on the coasts and all these we're, – we're the voice of middle America. The bluegrass state is the voice of flyover country in Washington and – and uh, it's a pretty cool thing for a small rural state to have all that concentrated responsibility. I'll be interested to see what Thomas Massey does with this new role on the Rules Committee because he is someone who has confounded every party, every stripe at different times. He is the Tesla-driving, MIT-educated, <laughs> off-the-grid living, uh, you know, um, inquisitive questioner of every committee who somehow 
you know, it, the, the quote that you uh, gave Scott from in the column was fantastic. You know, trying to figure out how do people who were you know who were conservative and 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 but budget hawks you know, vote for the big government, you know, uh, out of control Trump. He says, after some soul searching, I realized when they voted for Rand and Ron, Paul, and me in these primaries, they weren't voting for libertarian ideas. They were voting for the craziest son of a bitch in the race. Yeah. and But that truly is, I yes. mean, he is the ultimate wild card. He is. Although I saw a quote last night because there's, McCarthy put on three people. It was Massey and Ralph Norman and there was one other. Anyway, they're, they're considered to be sort of this triumvirate of hardline conservatives who could, you know, in theory, uh, uh, get together and block anything. But but Massey said last night that wasn't his intention, you know, that he didn't think that was a good way to operate and that wouldn't be what his intention is moving forward. I Look, I live in the 4th District. I know Thomas Massey. I endorsed him last year in his primary. He had a primary in Kentucky. was glad to endorse him. He and I have very divergent views on a number of policy topics, but I'll tell you a few things about him. Number one, very honest person, very earnest person. Number two, he has always uh, shot straight with me about what he's going to do and the way he sees certain issues. Um, I, I find him to be interesting and refreshing in some ways. Even when you're in complete disagreement with him, right. there's something likable about him and something candid and honest about him. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know how he's going to act, but I just – I think it's really good – for Kentucky, this is amazing, and you know I'm a I'm a I'm a partisan Kentuckian, and to have a Kentuckian on that rules committee and in the middle of all this is is pretty amazing. Yeah, there's also a profile in the Lexington Herald Leader today of Jamie Comer, and they yep. went and kind of spent the day with him and some of his friends. And I mean, a lot of these guys, it's hard to you know go to their district and and find somebody who doesn't like them or hasn't been an intern on the campaign or knocked doors for them and all these sorts of things. They have really built these. Um, my, my old boss, Jordan Harris, used to call it moon pie politics. And this sort of like, it's very Kentucky. It's very like, uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit different than how some other people uh, do it. But it's refreshing to see. It's nice to see these guys who have put in hard work really start to get recognized. You know, Jamie's been the, the fast mover. And, and, you know, by the end of the Congress, he'll be one of the most famous Republicans in the United States because this Congress is going to coincide with a presidential campaign. He's investigating the Democratic president, who I assume will be the nominee, so he's going to be one of the most famous Republicans in the country. But you think about the way the House Republican Conference works and the different factions and you know regional and, and ideological factions. Comer is no stranger to cutthroat intra-party factional politics because he learned it in South Central Kentucky in Monroe County. And, that, and, and so he, he comes by it honest, and he's been really adroit at navigating it during his career. I think that skill set has put him in the perfect spot here to handle this committee. We've got a lot of a lot of interesting personalities on his committee that he's dealing with. And he's got hardliners to please. He's got leadership to deal with. I think he's like the right man at the right time, given his training here in Kentucky on, on how to handle parties with very disparate factions. Speaking of committee assignments, Kevin McCarthy, the new speaker, uh, making a lot of waves in Washington uh, with the decision not to reappoint uh, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff, the former chairman of the to the Intelligence Committee in the House, perhaps Ilhan Omar as well, and really got a lot of pushback, especially from the media. A, of course, a scrum, <laughs> a scrum on Tuesday included a question along those lines about the partisan nature of all this from Lisa Desjardins of the PBS NewsHour and Kevin McCarthy with an epic response. Intel committee is, is Santos on the Intel committee. Am I allowing shift? Am I allowing shift to be on other committees? Go right ahead. Well, let me be very. He's gone elected by his district. So, okay. Let me be very clear. We'll pause. Pause one second, just to be clear. That I didn't set this up properly. Yeah. He's being asked first about George Santos, yeah. who, of course, is yeah the really 
blazing a new trail in terms of uh, <laughs> charlatanism. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. So the question is, because he's saying that truthfulness and lying are a major factor in his decision on Schiff and Swalwell being able to serve on this committee, Desjardins questioning saying, well, how can Santos still serve as a member of Congress? To you. You ask me a question. When I answer it, it's the answer to your question. You don't get to determine whether I answer your question or not, okay? In all respect. Thank you. No, no. Let's answer her question. You just raised a question. I'm going to be very clear with you. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the intel, if you talk to um, John Radcliffe, DNI, he came out ahead of time and says there's no intel to prove that, and he used his position as chairman, knowing he has information the rest of America does not, and lied to the American public. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. But I will not be like Democrats and play politics with these, where they removed Republicans from committees and all committees. So yes, he can serve on a committee, but he will not serve on intel, because it goes to the national security of America, and I will always put them first, all right? And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell, because <laughs> you have not had the briefing that I had. I had the briefing, and Nancy Pelosi had the briefing from the FBI. The FBI never came before this Congress to tell the leadership of this Congress that Eric Swalwell had a problem with a Chinese spy until he served on intel. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the intel committee that has the rights to see things that others don't because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. They brought it to the works of the leaders. I've got that briefing. So I do not believe he should sit on there, that committee. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. So this has nothing to do with Santos. Santos is not on the Intel Committee. But you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public, too. So you know what? I'll respect his voters, too, and they'll serve on committees. But they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. That's the answer to your question. Yes, the Speaker of the House. I mean, epic shutdown. You know, you know what's in amazing about that? is the, the position of the press there is revealed. You know, they need Schiff and Swalwell on the Intelligence Committee. Why do you think they need them on there, Joe? I believe they're a source. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they need them on there. But McCarthy's rationale here is exactly right. And there was some back and forth in the questioning like, well, their voters elected them, therefore you, you're, it's mandatory that they serve on this committee. And he so well laid out the difference between this committee and every other committee in Congress. There's a different level of responsibility. Schiff was a clown, an absolute clown during the Trump years on this stuff. Repeatedly told the American people things, intimated, well, I've seen things mm -hmm. that, you know, direct evidence of this and that. It was all baloney. And don't even get me start started on Swalwell. I think McCarthy's totally righteous on this. And to hear him shut down this sort of, you know, outraged line of questioning, I mean, Really good moment. Yeah, it's also just not an equal comparison. Like, look, we all agree Santos appears to have lied, is the charlatan, is like, you know, untrustworthy, all those things. But nothing nothing has really been proven yet with him, right? Like, they're all just allegations at this point. So McCarthy has to do something with him. So he put him on the, like, you know, Play-Doh committee or whatever it is. Like, he's, you know, the, the idea that you can compare these things apples to apples to at this point to me is very silly. Or you could compare the, the committee's apples to apples. I mean, it's just they're 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 trying to compare things that just don't match. And as McCarthy said, there's 200 other Democrats. Put put one of them yeah. on. Why does it have to be these two guys? That's that's what they never will really admit to. Why does it have to be 
these two guys. Well, we know why. We know why. And so McCarthy, right? I mean, heart in the right place, mind in the right place, mouth in the right place. Schiff and, and Swalwell, as well as uh, Ilhan Omar, who's also involved with this, all responded on Wednesday uh, at a 11.30 or so uh, news conference. And you know, Schiff immediately pivoted. It really didn't take the, our, our address the question of, of, of truthfulness, but instead, we can hear a little bit of sound here, said so basically this is only because of Trump. And we want to uh, briefly address uh, the Speaker's decision to remove Mr. Swalwell and myself uh, from the Intelligence Committee, as well as his continuing threat uh, to call a vote uh, to remove Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, I'm joined, of course, by my colleagues Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar. Uh, let me just begin, if I can, uh, to make a few observations about the decision on the Intelligence Committee and then hand it off to my colleagues. Um, this decision by Kevin McCarthy to bow to the demands of the most extreme elements of his conference uh, and use the Intelligence Committee as this kind of political uh, plaything doesn't show the strength uh, of his speakership. Indeed, it shows the weakness of his speakership, uh, that he is so beholden uh, to the most extreme uh, elements of his conference. Uh, and it bodes, I think, uh, poorly for how he'll conduct uh, the remainder of his speakership for And then later on when he's actually asked by the press about that truthfulness, that's when he says that basically Mar-a-Lago is, is dictating all of this here. And it's because Schiff was the leader of the impeachment effort was the reason why he's not uh, a part of that. But the Swalwell stuff, in addition to that, though, is just, I mean, it's, it's I, I, I don't know how he appears and stay, I guess, you know, it's the George Santos type thing. You can you can still appear there and, and be a congressman despite the fact you're being eviscerated before our eyes. I mean, Swal- Swalwell, I mean, he clearly had a relationship with a Chinese spy. Like, I don't, I mean, this is really not in dispute, and they act like it's either no big deal or he keeps saying, I've done nothing wrong. Well, okay, let, let's take it. Let's say you haven't done anything, quote unquote, wrong, which I guess he means criminal. Again, let's go back to McCarthy's explanation. You can serve in Congress and you can be on a committee. You don't have to be on this committee because you get to see stuff. And obviously your judgment is askew. And it's a totally valid point. The Elon Omar issue, though, they actually have to take a vote on that one. And I think as we're sitting here recording this, it's not quite clear how this is going to turn out. There are Republicans, apparently, who are inclined to allow her to stay on the committee. Yeah, now I saw Don Bacon, before we walked in here, said he's going to vote against her, which was a big sort of question. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen to her. Uh, But, you know, she has espoused clearly anti-Semitic and, frankly, anti-American views a number of times. And has her, I mean, her views on Israel and and other... (laughs) You know, other American foreign policy interests are just completely out of touch with mainstream America. And so I, I, I get it. I don't know what's going to happen on the vote, but certainly. Well, uh, well given all the concern that we have uh, over the last couple of weeks, especially over the, 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 how we deal with classified information, classified documents, you would think that, that this would be a, a, a high priority. Of anyone on an intelligence committee or talking about this is to say, let's make sure the nation's secrets are protected, yeah, and are not uh, mischaracterized or misappropriated for political partisan means. Yet here we are. Yeah, that, that's ultimately, I think, the last point you made is the is the best one. This intelligence committee is not supposed to be a partisan cudgel. In the Senate, the intelligence committee is bipartisan. There's collegiality. They don't leak. They work together. I mean, it, it's treated like a professional environment. The Democrats in the House have treated the Intelligence Committee like, you know, just another wing of their of their political shop, and it's it's wrong. This committee has to be treated better and differently and more professionally. And I think Jeffries could put, you know, any number of people on there, and it probably would be. I mean, look at Schiff and Swalwell. These are two of the most politically ambitious guys in the conference. Schiff looks like he's going to run for the Senate. Swalwell, you know, a, a constant climber. I mean, can't can't you find people who, who aren't so eaten up with politics to sit on a committee that ought to be non-political? Let's go to classified documents while we're on, on that topic, if we could. Senator McConnell was asked about this. Leader McConnell was asked about this at the, uh, the press briefing oh, as well. Oh, look. 
I found some material. Oh. <laughs> I found some material here. It was under Jared's laptop. You know the one <laughs> the one place they actually have not searched yet? Hey, that's the that's the good stuff. Make some copies before we turn <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. The one place they have not yet searched is actually in the Corvette. Yeah, I was just <laughs> I was realizing it's all around it, uh, you know. Yeah. But it, uh, the glove compartment. I'm just saying right now. Uh, who knows? What's I have in there. I have an idea that well, might be in there. Oh, now just Hunter's friends. Hunter's been driving that yeah. Corvette with his friends. friends. <laughs> you may not want to search that thing. So I'm just saying. <laughs> revelations, this, of course, this past week. I think we're now up to six or seven uh, different locations that that uh, the documents, classified documents, have, have been found that are were in Joe Biden's purview. You certainly have the the earlier raid or whatever you want to call it, the search uh, under pressure of of Mar-a-Lago. Now Vice President Pence, uh, apparently there are some documents found there. But I didn't realize until just recently, and I, I think this is what uh, Leader McConnell was, was responding to a question about, was the fact that there were actually classified documents found as far back in Joe Biden's Senate papers. Yes. And in that situation, it's different. Because it's one thing for you to be, and I'm not. I, my understanding of it, you know, your president and vice president, it's in your office. Yeah, it's a, it's part of what you part of your daily, uh, uh, you know, job. If you're a senator, you have to go to a SCIF, right? Uh, which is what does SCIF stand for? Do we know? I'm putting you on the on the <laughs> secure something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, but, but these are places that you can see in the Capitol, and there are pla- they're, 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 you have to walk in. You don't walk in with those documents. You don't walk out with those documents. But sensitive somehow, compartmented information facility. Okay, but in the Capitol, <laughs> that's what you have there. But apparently, Joe Biden somehow kind of reminds me of. Uh, well, I think of his name here in a minute. Who, who who walked out of a few places with some classified documents? A former cabinet secretary who's now the Sandy Berger. The oh, was it him? Remember him? Didn't he like stuff uh, him in his socks or yeah, something exactly. out of the National Archive? I also thought there was the guy who's now the hostage negotiator, uh, the former New Richardson. Mexican. Yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill I Richardson. thought I thought he had a situation as well where he he walked out with some of these things. Anyway, the the deal is is how can someone walk out of the skiff with classified documents? McConnell asked about that as well. For handling classified documents, has senator changed over time? In your- I, I I never knew it was possible to take classified documents out of the skiff. So I don't, most of us don't think there's any way of getting it out of the skiff, much less bringing it to your office or taking it home. Unless it was intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I the circumstances of all these documents, whether you were senator or vice president uh, or president, what, um, we don't really know a ton about how they got from A to B. We don't know what the documents are. There's been some speculation about Trump's. I, I don't know what this stuff is. Even on the Biden, when his lawyers like, well, they found some uh, materials. Well, that could mean a laptop. Mm. That could mean a binder. Yeah. It could mean. I mean, it, you don't exactly know what it is or what's in it, and and then from there how it got from A to B. So there's a lot of a lot of unknown, and we may never know because of the sensitive nature of. We may never yeah. get a, a full picture of what this stuff was. That's a good point, and and frankly, I respect that uh, mm. discretion, despite the fact that all of this has been playing out in front of us. And my assumption is now because you've got uh, Trump, Biden, Pence, and who who knows who Jimmy else, Carter that no one's going to get charged here you know you still have very committed democrats on tv saying well they should go ahead and indict trump anyway because biden didn't do anything wrong i mean the reason he's he's consenting to these searches is because there's a special counsel if he didn't they would go to court and get a search warrant and send the fbi on a raid i mean he has no choice Mm -hmm. and they're trying to make it like he's doing the right thing uh so i mean my assumption is now everybody's neutralized so you can't you can't really Move on any of these people legally, but I I don't know. What do you think? I mean, first of all, I think that Mike Pence, given what was going on with, I mean, the very similar situation. It's an ex vice president. You packed up your stuff. You left the the office, and then you you began looking at things. Now, of course, with Biden, it's been four years or yeah. longer. You know, since since he moved out of the White House uh, or moved out of the Naval Observatory and the old Executive Office Building. But you see my point. Mm-hmm. Out of the administration and is with it, that stuff. Is it your belief? Is it your understanding from the story that Pence began searching in the wake of all this, thinking that's my perception? Maybe I, maybe I should 
you know, just double check this <laughs> yes. and, and make sure I didn't do anything. Yeah. Which I think actually, I mean, it's a it, responsible thing. It's a responsible thing. And frankly, it's something which is very inconvenient for Republicans for this to come out in the midst of the drip, drip, drip <laughs> yeah. of Biden. But at the same time, th- there's no responsible way to, to slow walk that. It does put um, Jamie Comer in an interesting spot. Yeah. Um, because he's been pretty strident on Biden. And holding Biden accountable, and now you've got Pence. I saw somebody wrote, you know, it's a moment of a test of credibility for him. I mean, the the truth is the Oversight Committee, the goal of oversight is to ultimately get to a legislative um, outcome to fix something you've discovered that's wrong. And obviously, you can already see the contours of what's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's too darn easy to walk out of the White House or anywhere, (laughs) apparently the Senate or anywhere else, with classified documents, people who have access to these things. You know, my job is to pack up your boxes and I can grab the classified documents. I mean, there's obviously legislation needed. I think where Congressman Comer would be smart to go would be ultimately down that road, which is to say, obviously, this whole system has not been thought through in quite some time. We've learned some things here, and here's the legislative fixes we're going to recommend. That that would be a kind of playing it down the middle for him um, as he tries to navigate now what's a, a little trickier briar patch yeah i'm starting to realize that the plot of national treasure might not be as ridiculous as once thought <laughs> uh that getting the declaration of independence might not be that hard well i was about to say is that you know the the great news is is that we have professionals in the government who before classified inf- classified information is actually released is very carefully excised you have those big black marks throughout everything that might be sensitive yeah. and the great news is we have the perfect person in the government who knows how to expurgate, <laughs> how to excise documents, who's already on the payroll. She knows how to stealth edit things. The vice president, <laughs> Kamala Harris. Oh. I mean, she's editing She's editing sensitive documents like the Declaration of Independence. America, we collectively <laughs> believe and know America is a promise. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. Hold on. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence. Here we go. That we are each endowed with the right. By who? By whom? To liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I'm sorry, by what now? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Can you rewind 10 seconds there? I mean... Endowed by, yeah. with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I got to tell you, as I listen to this comment, first of all, I think everybody listening to this podcast knows we're endowed by our creator, creator. Yep. to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it, did you get the feeling... That it actually was written correctly on her paper, and as she halted, she was looking at it. She was like, "I'm taking those out myself." I can't say right to life. Those those some code words. I can't say creator. Yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) and of course, the fact that she made it a passive sentence. You know, promise we made that we are each endowed. No, we are endowed by. Yes, we are endowed by by our creator. It it, it was it was really shocking. Well, but it is a natural conclusion, though, Scott and Jared to what we have been going through for the last several years especially of this kind of this fundamental uh, disagreement with the founding of our country. Yeah. That yeah. somehow we are corrupt, criminal, this flawed, and as a result we have to basically begin to undermine the legitimacy of our core principles, values, and documents, among them the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and um, and whether she edited it herself on the fly or whether her staff, who wrote that speech, took it out because they couldn't stomach writing the word creator or right to life on a piece of paper. Either way, it speaks to just how beholden her office is to that ideology, to that progressive ideology, which is so rancid. The idea that the United States of America is evil, that the people who founded the country are evil that our founding documents are somehow defective and rotten. It's 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 it is th- this is so limiting, you know, for Democrats, and yet they go down this road all the time. I mean, but it's the same ideology that would be tearing down George Washington and Abraham Lincoln's statue. It's the same ideology that 
you know, has Teddy Roosevelt removed from the front of the museum in New York City. It's this ideology of tearing down what came before, even though we live in the greatest country the world has ever known, founded by people who were truly divinely inspired to come up with this. We just can't take yes for an answer. It has to all be rotten and evil. And yep. uh, and she and obviously, I don't think she's made any apologies for this. There's been no explanations for it. So I guess I'm waiting to see what else Kamala Harris stealth edits uh, in her time in office. Yeah, you wonder how long before they want to start taking liberty out too, right? Oh, that's a bad word. Then we don't like that uh, word liberty. Li- liberty is a code word. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's either that or. She, like she sounds a lot of times, is the sixth grader who forgot to read the book and read the spark notes on the bus on the way in, <laughs> you know, and just started winging it. Like, Well, is it, is it possible she's just an idiot who doesn't know what's in the Declaration of Independence? I doubt she's an idiot. I think that she's an accomplished attorney and prosecutor in California. Just that every, virtually everybody, every school child in America, that's the part of the Declaration of Independence everybody knows. I think it's more selective than that purposefully and not a matter of forgetfulness. So it's evil, not idiocy. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I mean, it is evil. No, I don't I, I, I don't disagree yeah. with you, but I'm saying is I don't think it's a matter of ineptitude. I think it's a matter of purposeful deletion. Are they are they mutually exclusive? Next week <laughs> on the on the flyover country with Scott Jennings, we're gonna get to this couple of things which I promised we're gonna get to this week, but we're out of time, uh, including the uh, the escalation. We'll see what happens in the next week or so with uh, Ukraine and with the the tanks yeah. from both Germany and the U.S. going there. Also next week, I do want to go over with our entire panel, Scott, the latest news from the Granite State, uh, some of the, D- the New Hampshire uh, primary, or, or, you know, early handicapping, and Pete Buttigieg with an early lead over the president. Yeah, uh, so far. But we'll talk about that with Kevin and Sean. Jared and Scott. I'm Joe Arnold. And Scott, thanks for having us on again. Yep. Good show. I'll be on uh, CNN Sunday morning, State of the Union, uh, I believe with Jake Tapper, and then a few other uh, appearances on Monday and Tuesday. So look forward to seeing you there. One thing I want to talk about next week is this amazing YouGov survey about, um, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of the following groups, organizations, or belief systems and the differences between Democrats and Republicans? One of the top line uh one of the top line things was that Democrats have a uh, warmer feeling for Wiccans, Wick- Wiccans, yeah, Wiccans <laughs> than they do for m- many Christian denominations, and so um, it, it's a really sort of fascinating look. But we'll and I, this is kind of your wheelhouse, so we'll talk about it next week. Uh, Wicca, yes, Wiccan? is they, my wheelhouse? Yes. Well, no, Make I'm just it. saying you're, you're, you're our religious <laughs> correspondent. You're oh, our religion you. correspondent. God bless Here's you. a whole survey about religion here. I'm trying to do something for you. They're Study the ones who light this. all the candles, right? That's what Wiccas <laughs> do. I'm, I am grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. And uh, as Joe mentioned, check out our bonus pod this week. It's my column from the Courier-Journal. I just read it into the record here on the Flower Country podcast. Does Kentucky have the most powerful congressional delegation in Washington? My verdict? Yes. And we just found some more classified documents. (laughs) Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.